The title of our lesson tonight is, I'm Not Ashamed. And those are three words that I had us all say together uh, this morning. Those are words that come from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16. They're words of the Holy Spirit, spoken through the Apostle Paul. In Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. He has just come off several verses where he's said, I really would love to come and see my brothers and sisters in Rome, uh, at the church in Rome. It's been my intention to come there, but I've gotten tied up in other places. Uh, He says in verse 13, I have often intended to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, but I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to, to the wise and to the foolish. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I'm eager to preach the gospel wherever God takes me. It is my delight to declare the riches and the grace of God through Jesus Christ, whether it's here or there, in Rome or elsewhere, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I am not ashamed. And we could look at several examples from the life of Paul in the book of Acts that would illustrate his statement here, uh, that he is not ashamed to declare the gospel, but I want us to look earlier in the book of Acts, before Paul was the Paul that we know, before he was converted to the faith by that vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. I want us to look at a passage in Acts chapters 3 and 4. And so I would invite you to go there with me. This is familiar territory to you right now if you've been in Sunday school with us. Uh, in many of our classes, this is what we're covering. Uh, the, the first few chapters, the, the first half of the book of Acts, where we see Peter is, uh, has great prominence as an apostle, and that the ministry of Jesus is extended uh, through the time of the apostles. After he's left the earth, the, the preaching and the teaching and the things that he did go on through them. And... What I believe is our text tonight in Acts chapters 3 and 4 will illustrate for us, and I actually mentioned um, some, of, some of what we'll cover tonight this, in this morning sermon. This is going to illustrate for us what we see Peter and John doing. This idea of Paul, the statement, declaration of Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel. This morning we talked about our theme for this year. We're calling it Outreach 2020. And it's our aim to invite more people into the faith, into this church family. It is our aim to save more souls in our community and beyond. What do you think is the primary reason that we do not reach out more often with the good news of Jesus Christ? There are many that we could list, I'm certain. But I think the one that always seems to rise to the top of the list The one that, you know, when you throw that question out in a Bible class or if you're talking with some Christian friends about it, the one that gets the most coverage, probably the primary reason is fear. We're afraid. Of what? Fear of rejection. 
fear of uh, a, a damaged relationship, you know, that we're going to mess up some sort of relationship that we have with a family member or a friend by introducing our faith into it, a fear of persecution, fear of being, you know, ostracized by your friends or left out. We, we're just, when it comes to sharing our faith, we're fearful, we're timid, we lack boldness. Well, in our story tonight, that we're going to cover in Acts chapters 3 and 4, I want us to notice three things that I believe will help make us bolder in sharing our faith, that will help make us unafraid and unashamed. If you've been in Sunday school, you are familiar with the story of Acts chapter 3. When Peter and John, I'm going to paraphrase here, are heading up to the temple at the hour of prayer, this is in the first few verses, and they encounter a man who was lame from birth. We later find at the end of chapter, or towards, well into chapter 4 in verse 22, that he was 40 years old, had never walked a day in his life. And every day he had some folks who would take him to this specific gate outside of the temple in Jerusalem where, where he would sit begging for money, begging for alms. He encounters Peter and John on their way up to the temple, and he asks them, these two apostles of Jesus, what he asks everybody else who comes by. Do you have any money to spare? They look at him, and he thinks, you know, he, he's about to get what he's asked for. Uh, he, he thinks they're, they're going to provide for him uh, some, some money to help him buy some food or some other basic needs that he has, but the scripture tells us they look at him and they say, Peter says, silver and gold have we not, but what we do have, we will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And obviously, as you can imagine, the man doesn't just get up and start walking. He gets up and he is leaping and he's jumping and he's praising God, and he's rejoicing, and all the people notice, and it causes quite a stir. And that event drives the, the, the events in the remainder of chapter 3 and on into chapter 4. What happens here at the beautiful gate at the temple to this man? Everybody is marveling, and they're filled with wonder, and they run to what is called Solomon's Porch, which was a space adjacent to the temple, which we are told in Acts, the early church, the Christians in Rome, they would often gather there. They would have meetings and they would study and worship in that space. And Peter launches into a powerful gospel sermon, not dissimilar to the one that he preached in chapter 2. He just declares Jesus Christ. And he says, you had a hand in killing Jesus, but God rose, uh, raised him from the dead. And because of all this, you need to repent. And turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And so Peter is boldly proclaiming the gospel. And at the beginning of chapter 4, we see this. As they were speaking to the people, Peter and the other apostles, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And because of this, they arrested them. They put them in custody, threw them in jail until the next day. It was already evening. And so Peter and John and the rest have to spend a night in jail for proclaiming the gospel. 
for openly preaching Jesus to the masses in Jerusalem. Now, what is happening to the Christian movement at this point in history? Well, we're told here in verse 4, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. How many were converted in just the previous chapter on the day of Pentecost after Peter's sermon? How many came and were baptized on that day? 3,000. And now the church has ballooned to 5,000, and that's just men. The number of men came to 5,000. So you can see why the Jewish religious authorities want to stamp out this movement. Uh, It is spreading like wildfire throughout the entire city. And so they grab these guys up and they throw them in jail in order to hush them up. And on the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes, they gather together and they bring them out into the midst. And here's the question that they ask Peter and John. By what power or by what name did you do this? Now, if there was ever a time to cower, if there was ever a time to tuck tail and run, it's, it's now. They already know the consequences that they may continue to face for preaching Jesus. They've already spent a night in prison. They know that there's probably worse to come. Their Lord has been crucified. I mean, most significantly, Jesus died for what they're still proclaiming to the people. And so if there ever was a time to, you know, try to change course or or at least try to put some sort of gloss on what they had been saying to maybe backpedal a little bit to soften the edges of the message, it was now. But what do they say when pressed? They say, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that it's by the name of Jesus, by his name, is this man standing before you well. So they don't back off in the least. And in fact, you could even say that they turn up the heat. They turn up the volume. They say in verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by by which we must be saved. You know, they sort of press in to the exclusive nature of the gospel. You cannot be saved by anyone other than Jesus, there is salvation in no other name. Now, in verse 13, this is where I want us to pick up and find our three things tonight that I think will help make us bolder as we proclaim Jesus in our everyday lives. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Why is it that Peter and John and the rest of the apostles are special? What makes them set apart? Well, it's not, we learn here, their schooling. It's not their education. It's not because they'd, you know, been hitting the books all their lives, and they were, as a result, eloquent in the way that they spoke. Uh, It's not because, you know, they had vastly intelligent ideas and ways of speaking. No, they see that these are just ordinary fishermen and, and, you know, from other trades, from Galilee. They are common. They are uneducated. But what makes the difference is that they had been with Jesus. 
They had been with Jesus. And so number one, we are made bolder in proclaiming Jesus by spending more time with him in his word. Now, we're not, none of this is going to be novel to you. We're not going to cover any fresh new ground. I'm going to provide reminders to you that you have heard hundreds of times before, but the reason that they sound cliche and the reason that you've heard them before is because they are very important. And if you're anything like me, you need to continue receiving these reminders uh, so that you keep doing them. I mean, I, I have to be constantly reminded of that which is most or should be most important in my life because it is so easy for all of us to become waylaid, to become distracted by lesser things that we need this kind of stuff to bring us back to center. Number one, what will make us bolder in proclaiming our faith? It's spending time with Jesus in his word. That's what made the difference for them. That's what will make the difference for us. One way that the Bible functions as God's word is by showing us exemplars of faith that we can emulate. The Bible invites us to imitate the faithfulness of all of the figures that it tells us about. So when we see the faith of Noah, that is meant to inspire us to act in faith, even when we don't quite understand what God is doing. When we read about Job, we see a man who was put through the ringer in ways that we can't imagine and yet still chose to bless the Lord. That is meant to encourage us that, and to remind us that we can face adversity as well and we can come out on the other side still faithful. When we see people like the boy king, Josiah, who ascended to the throne at eight years old, but who when he discovered that his people, that God's people were not practicing the law, he became very upset and he brought about, about great religious reforms in the nation of Judah. We see an example like that and we say to ourselves, you know, you're never too young to do the right thing and to be obedient to God. And now we come to Peter and John. And they, to us, are exemplars of faith in, in the face of adversity here and persecution. And the Bible invites us to look at their example, to be inspired, and to want to follow in their footsteps. God can enable ordinary, fearful people like us to proclaim His Word, just like He did for them, when we spend time in His presence. What made the difference for, for Peter and John and the rest? Not their schooling, not their education. They recognized that they had been with the Lord. And when we spend time with the Lord in His Word, we are made more courageous, more confident, bolder, less afraid, more up to the task of declaring the gospel to the people around us. And there's more boldness to come in our text. If you look down uh, at verse 18, they continue this dialogue here, and, and they're wondering, what should we do with Peter and John and the rest? Because the people are on their side, and they're excited, and it's obvious that a miracle has taken place, and so they decide we're going to try to hush them up once and for all. They called them and they charged them not to speak 
or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This is verse 18, but verse 19, Peter and John said, hey, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you've got to judge that. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't help it. So even being told directly, don't say another word about Jesus. They still didn't listen. They obeyed God rather than men. They had been with the Lord, and it made all the difference. It made them bolder. All right, let's keep reading. I've got two more to share with you before we wrap up tonight. Verse 23. When they were released, they decided that they better just release them. Uh, They found no other way to punish them, so they threatened them a little bit more, but decided to turn them loose because all the people were rejoicing and praising God for what had happened. Verse 23. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, what's the first thing that they did? They go back to the other believers, to the other disciples, and they tell them about healing the lame man, and they tell them about what they were told by the chief priest and the others in authority, and they tell them about the night in jail. And when they heard it, what happens? They all lifted their voices together to God, and they began to pray. They say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That's verse 24 of Acts chapter 4. They begin to pray. Before we read any further in their prayer, we can say this. Number two, we are made bolder when we ask for greater boldness in prayer. So number one, we are made bolder by spending time with Jesus in His Word. Number two, we are made bolder and less afraid when we ask God to give us greater confidence in living out our faith in a public way. They pray here. That's the first thing they do. Let's continue to read their prayer. Verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. A couple more verses here. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now watch this, verse 29. And now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Give us greater boldness. You know what strikes me here? They didn't pray that God would keep them safe. And I'm not saying that we are wrongheaded or amiss when we ask God to give us safety. But it's striking to me That in the face of adversity and persecution in the earliest days of Christianity in the city of Jerusalem, where Jesus had died, where his followers are already being cast into prison, that they didn't ask God, please keep us safe through this trial. Instead, they said, give us more confidence in declaring the message of your son, Jesus. Give us greater boldness in preaching the gospel. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They knew 
that they didn't have the courage to match the task. That the job was up here and their courage level was down here. And they needed God to fill the gap. And the, the way that they knew to level up to the courage that they needed was to ask God to give it to them. Prayer, I believe, is what really is going to transform our efforts this year as we seek to reach out. If we are not praying to be bolder, then we're not thinking about being bolder. So as we think about being bolder and less afraid, may that drive us to our knees to pray. May we pray about it. And when we pray about it, let's just, let's, let's see what God, let's see what God does through those prayers. I think that he'll do amazing things as we pray for God to make us more courageous in living out our faith and declaring the message of Jesus. So we are made bolder by spending time with Jesus and his word. We're made bolder when we simply ask for it in prayer, when we acknowledge that it is God and only God who can give us the confidence that we need. And third, we are made bolder when we remember our power source. Verse 31, watch this. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with what? Boldness. Now, as you read the book of Acts, you see several dramatic displays by the Holy Spirit. And even though we should not expect miraculous spiritual gifts today, I do not believe God is doling those out to his people any longer for a variety of reasons. We shouldn't forget that we are still empowered by the same Spirit. The Spirit may not do that anymore, but the Spirit does continue to dwell within all believers. And it is the Spirit who empowers us and emboldens us to live out our faith and to declare the message of Jesus. And I think we get into trouble when we try to obey the commands of God without drawing from the power of God. When we try to do what God has asked us to do, but we forget about the power that He's given us to do it, what happens when we do that? Well, our obedience becomes not about God's glory. It becomes about us and about our performance so we must always remember that we are operating, we are living by the power of God at work within us. The apostles in these earliest days never seemed to forgot. They never seemed to, to neglect the fact that it was the, the Holy Spirit who was at work through them. Let's not forget that it's the Holy Spirit at work through us as well. It is God's Spirit that enables us to boldly proclaim the gospel. Joseph cannot do it on his own. Joseph does not have the right words to speak. Joseph does not have the right demeanor uh, to, to effectively reach out to someone, study the Bible with someone, declare Jesus to someone. Joseph can't do it. But the power of God working through Joseph can. And the power of God working through you Hand. So don't lean on yourself and don't lean on your own strengths or talents or gifts. Don't forget the power source that you draw from in order to do what God has asked us all to do.
Yes, as we think about reaching out with the message of Christ, we need knowledge. I mean, there's no getting around that. We need to know certain things about what the Scriptures teach. We need to know about the content of our faith. We need wisdom. We need to know how to approach people, and we need to do so at the right time, at the right place, with the right demeanor. We need warmth. We need winsomeness. We need all these things and more to reach out effectively and well, but really what I believe we need most is boldness. More boldness. More courage. What we need most is to be unafraid and unashamed. David Livingstone, when he was doing his pioneering missionary work in Africa, received a letter that said, we would like to send some other men to you. Have you found a good road into your area yet? And Livingstone replied, if you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road, then I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. And we need to be people who believe that God will make a way out of no way for us to declare the gospel. We need to be people who believe the impossible. Not people who say, nah, that person will never be interested in Jesus. No, that method will never work in trying to reach out to the people in our community. Our God is in the business of doing the impossible. And He can make a way out of no way for people to come to the Lord if only we'll get out of the way and allow Him to use us as instruments, as vessels for His mission in the world. Tonight, maybe you need to come and respond to the invitation as Jimmy and Rachel did this morning, and I know they have no interest in being talked about any further, but I so admired their decision to come. And I thought to myself, that's how I want to be when I grow up like them. I want to have a humble heart, a soft and tender heart, open to what God wants to do through me. Maybe tonight you're feeling convicted, you're feeling encouraged, you want to come also and rededicate your life to God or ask for prayers or maybe you, you need to come and you need to be baptized tonight. You need to confess faith in Christ and repent of your sins and go down into that water and back up a new creature. Why don't you do that tonight while we stand and sing?